Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Another their story here on ITSB Magazine with our good friends from Nintex and uh, a number of Nintex friends. Uh, first, Jesse, thanks for, thanks again for joining us for this conversation. It's episode five of uh, obviously a five-part series, and uh, we're going to put a nice bow on business process automation and orchestration as a specific topic today. Uh, great to have you on. Yeah, yeah, glad to be back. Uh, kind of, you know, the bittersweet ending of uh, the, the conversation that we're having, but like all good things, it, it must come to an end. And I'm sure there's going to be more conversations to be had here on after. But uh, yeah, I mean, happy to be back. And, and like you said, put a nice little bow on this, wrap it all up and uh, bring this to a close here. So like you mentioned, we got some other folks here coming back uh, to continue on with the conversation. So just Real quick, I think before we jump into it, I want to make sure that everybody uh, kind of introduces themselves again for those that may have not caught any of the other episodes. Um, so real quick here, we'll kind of go around the horn. We'll, we'll start with uh, with Ben. Welcome back, bud. Uh, thanks, Jesse. Happy to, happy to be back. Uh, my name is Ben Story. I'm a senior consultant with Solution Design Group. I'm the, the low-code lead uh, at our company. Uh, and we specialize in application development from Java apps to Microsoft apps to building really cool things with with automation and, and Nintex. So um, happy to be here and, and provide some some really fun ex, uh, experience and talk about workflows. It's, it's, it's awesome. Excellent. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. We have next Nicole. We'll pick on you next. Thank you. I'm Nicole Vesser. I'm a senior solutions manager with Able Solutions. Um, we are Microsoft Gold Partner as well as an Intex Premier Partner. And so we do a lot of process automation, leveraging Microsoft 365, SharePoint as kind of a document management tool, um, and so on. I'm happy to be back. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And last but certainly not least, Rhea. Hello. Doing good. Ria Vyoslavic, Director of Business Process Automation for Elantis in Vancouver, BC. We're quite pretty similar to, to Nicole and Ben there. We do a lot of O365, um, Nintex, SharePoint, all over the place, all the time. But automation is always in our hearts. Glad to be here. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Automation. And let, let's talk about that uh, before we get into all of the great scenarios we're going we're gonna to explore We've had conversations starting with definition of what we want to do for the business. What are the tasks that that we want to define and how do we then build them? And, and we did that in the construction episode. And you can define and build. Uh, not very good if you don't deploy them. So we, we covered a lot of that in the execution phase where how do we actually bring this to life? Uh, maybe staging and, and troubleshooting and error handling and some of those things. Then we got into automation and then you might be asking, well, what's the difference between automation and the topic today of orchestration? And um, I have my view, but I'd like quickly, maybe Jesse, if you could 
maybe kind of share with us the definition of orchestration in relation to automation? Yeah, uh, I mean the the way that the way that I look at it um, for the the automation is there's there's multiple ways to automate. There's multiple uh, tools and capabilities that you can automate with. Um, when you start to take that higher level view and you start to look at things, you know, and, and, and around orchestration, that is making all of those pieces of automation work together, um, work together well, uh, make sure that they're communicating with each other, making sure that they're helping each other out. And you're not just building silos of automation. So taking everything that we talked about before, ultimately getting into that automation phase, but then fine tuning it to work together in order. So that way there we can, we can look at, you know, how do we fine tune it even further? How do we start to have conversations around change management? How do we start to look at, you know, things like monitoring? Are we hitting our, our KPIs and things like that? Uh, it's great that we've automated it, but now we need to start looking at how do we actually measure it? How do we know we've done the right thing? So being able to look at everything holistically, that orchestration really comes into focus. Um, so that's kind of how I, how I separate the two. That's kind of how I define it. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any kind of, you know, two cents on that side of things, but that's generally how I kind of differentiate the two kind of holistically. No, I think you pretty much nailed it because when you're thinking about automation, it's usually like, I'm going to automate this one thing. Um, and maybe that's just a, a single task or mm -hmm. an approval or whatever that might be. But when we talk about orchestrating, it's like, well, what's the bigger picture? How do we bring all these things together and build this one big process that includes automation and a lot of other parts to it? So it's just kind of keeping the whole thing in mind. Um, when we're, when we're thinking about these projects and all these things that we can do with it. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I think everything you, you've said thus far is, uh, is right on point. And I have a slightly different way of looking at it as well, uh, which is automation is a way to repeat things quickly and easily or effectively and efficiently is one way to look at it. And orchestration for me, brings it to an experience level. And I, I think about, uh, well, first off, human experiences, right? So how do we take something and bring a flow to that that not only saves time and money and, and does a better job at it, but perhaps brings a different experience to the person interacting with that system? And I mean, we can look at a bunch of different industries, a bunch of different use cases, which I think we're going to dig in today. But how do we change the way something happens for, yeah, for the better of, of humans and better of the business overall? Yeah, user experience is definitely something that is core to all of the automation projects that we work on for our various different clients across whatever the industry, because... I think our goal with automation ultimately is to make someone's life easier, to make something easier, to take a burden off of them, to ease something, right? Automate repetitive things, like you said. So that won't work. We won't achieve those ultimate goals if we give them something that doesn't work for them. They still, we're still relying on the humans to do their part. 
And so we need to make sure that those those interaction points, those integration points where the humans actually come and do their part in the overall process and in all of the automation, that it works for them. Um, so that's kind of what I heard from you, from your kind of version of your definition of orchestration being kind of the human level and making sure that things flow. I think that's that's definitely critical and that's always something that we consider. And um, if we don't consider it, our clients certainly point those things out to make sure they it it won't work if it won't work, you know. And I want to uh, kind of touch on the idea of uh, making lives easier. And let's not forget about our lives as IT people, um, because one of those things when we're looking at orchestration is making sure that there's no duplication of the data that's being provided. And if it is, it's matching up with other areas. So even once you've come to a point where your automation is complete, you know, you've defined it, you've constructed it, you're executing, you're now automating, and that's all fantastic. And away we go. But if there's anything running into each other and it becomes a Venn diagram of two different automation pieces interacting, you know, we got to be careful. We got to make sure those things are tracked and documented and everyone knows that they shouldn't be duplicating something we've already put all of our, you know, blood, sweat and tears into. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a, that's a good point. And it kind of leads me to a question that I, I think that folks like us, we consider um, and wondering kind of your guys' take on, on it. But I mean, is, is the orchestration, is that something that, you consider or organizations consider while addressing the automation or is it more of like a byproduct or something that just it's an afterthought something that oh okay now we've orchestrated or now we've automated it oh uh, we should probably make sure that it all works together i i mean i i know what i experience because i'm in this every day just like you guys but i would love to hear what you guys have to you know kind of say about that what you guys think yes <laughs> it should yes. be just depends on who involved or not. I mean, I've seen automation uh, go through, you know, civilian developers, and a lot of them are just they're A plus plus excellent, you know, fast shipping, mm -hmm. etc. Um, but they don't consider the other pieces. But when we're involved, I mean, we know we know when these things run into each other, and we know what questions to ask at the forefront. But a lot of people don't. Literally just took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say that the business gets so hyper-focused on that one thing that they need to do. They often lose track of the the whole process. It's like, I know I do this one thing and I need this one thing automated, but it's like, okay, well, what happens before and after in, in the middle that we, you know, when we're going in and having these conversations, like Rhea said, we, we kind of have a sense of like what needs to be accomplished. So, you know, <clears throat> I try to keep the whole thing in mind and, and it just really comes down to doing it a, a enough that you learn to ask the right questions to get the bigger picture yeah i think that's a big part of it and i think that's a benefit excuse my dog making her appearance i think that's a benefit of working with uh you know nintex directly nintex partners like all of us uh just automation experts is that we mm -hmm. can help see the orchestration piece coming from the beginning, right? So maybe orchestration in and of right. itself is kind of the end goal, but we mm -hmm. know that it's coming, whereas our end users who are in the weeds or who have the pain points that are so personal to them don't see those things. So because yeah. we've done this so many times in so many different ways, we know those things like Ben was saying to look out for, and we can try to surface some of those things to, to see the orchestration coming and help to guide everyone toward that as a successful 
kind of end product. Yeah. And, and I mean, just out of curiosity, then what, what is that success look like, right? For people that you know, are falling victim to maybe foregoing that thought process around orchestrating everything up front and thinking of that maybe first or in tandem with the automation, how do you circumvent that? How do you get that to be more of a forethought for them? How do you get that to be successful, right? So what kind of where do you guide that? Uh, and I don't know if anybody has any, you know, examples of kind of what they've done in the past. I would love to hear that. You document it. And I mean, a lot of the, depending on the kind of client that we are um, waltzing into, it will depend on if they've had documentation, documentation before on the actual process, or sometimes we'll offer to go through it and start mapping it through, like if, whether it's a tool like Visio or if it's like ProMap or if it's a Word document, you know, whatever it might be, being able to see those points where they hit the systems um, and just being able to see where that's at. And there's certain things that people don't consider right off the um, the forefront too. Things like, I have a client right now where we're talking about, okay, we're going to do this application and this is how it's going to go. We might want mobile later, but it's a nice to have. We don't need to think about it right now. But we do. <laughs> we do need to think about it right now because I don't want you to have to spend X amount of dollars later on to have to completely reconstruct this application that you want to be eventually right. mobile. Right. I think for, for us, we it, it shows up, yes, definitely in documenting at the start of the process and then throughout, but also during the development phase, frequent walkthroughs or design reviews, sometimes they're called, right? But almost an agile approach. We've, we've switched to primarily an agile approach with a lot of our automation projects in the respect of we build some and then we check in with our customer to make sure, hey, is this going in the right direction? Is this going to meet your needs? Because they're the one, it, it may work for us. We hear the, the business requirements and then we kind of translate them into the technical requirements and then we build the solution to meet those, right? But then sometimes there's a gap between getting back around to meeting those business requirements. So I think it's important to circle back with those business users and with the people who are going to be using the system um, before it's completely done and locked in and all of the hours are spent, right? So I think frequent check-ins with what we're doing, making sure we're on the, the right path, because they'll point out things that we would never anticipate. And, um, you know, we're in a project right now where this happens, where we are doing these frequent design reviews. And each time it's kind of a uh, it's a it's a love-hate relationship we have with these design review sessions at this point because each time we get this really great critical feedback that we're getting at a pretty early point in the development piece, but several times it's thrown a big kink into the underlying architecture of the solution. But better to identify that early on than once we've already built out if there's 20 possible paths, let's build it out on one path first do a sanity check, make sure it's going to meet your needs, and then we'll build out all the 20. But if we built out all 20 and then you find something that doesn't work for you in the core of that architecture, we're kind of, you know, uh, in, a, in, in hot water. So I think that's important too, checking in frequently. Yeah, I'd rather fail fast than have this process that you know, we're, we'll just speak in in-text terms is two, three, 400 actions deep. And it's 
just has a ton of things that it's doing. And then all of a sudden you get to the very end of the project. And it's like, no, that's not quite what we were looking for. So definitely taking that agile approach, I think in, in a lot of these automation projects is, is very key. Um, and doing those, you know, you can call them code review sessions, even though you're not really writing code, but that's just a really good generic term for them. Um, and just check in, run through things, do little mini demos with, with people and, and make sure that you're on the right track because you don't want to get very far down that hole and have to go back. And to uh, just go pause ahead. on that for a second, uh, just quick here, the end users, the people who are actually going to be using the application need to be in those design reviews or at least in some aspect because your IT and your HR, whoever might be in that session, they've got the best interest at in mind, sure, but they are not the end user. And there's so many times we'll get to the end and be like, oh, well, this is great for IT, but the end user doesn't agree with the way it looks or feels. Yeah, and I, I, let's focus on the user and I'm going to go back to the experience again and I want to want to drive us toward some scenarios and use cases uh, that folks probably can relate to and recognize. And I think when, when I think of IT and automation and business, I tend to look inside an office, people sitting in a cube in front of a computer, uh, banging away, filling out forms and, and making decisions and, and uh, closing deals, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But I, but there are other experiences that <clears throat> that uh, that may come together, and I'm gonna, I'm going to use an, one that doubles both for employee experience and customer experience, and it's one I shared with you leading up to this. It, it's a ski resort that took took advantage of the pandemic time and made some significant investments in in their technology and and how they run the business to focus on user experience, but then also uh, help their employees have a better experience as well. And they've done things like each one may not be revolutionary, but the combination of it all to me uh, says something. It's booking tickets, booking classes, renting skis, getting a parking spot, uh, finding which lines have, have fewer people in them. And when you get to the top, have fewer people eating in the restaurant and you want to pre-order your food. So you get in, so you have more time on the, on the slopes and, all of this comes together for a great experience. Each of those things has their own set of automation, right? How much food do we need uh, to prepare, or to buy the supply chain, all that stuff for the food, uh, for the tickets? How do we manage the peop uh, the tickets? And do we, do we know if we have enough skis for people to want to rent skis when they arrive? All that stuff comes together for the experience of the, the user. But then there's the employees and uh, the example I'd look at is, well, if a particular run got a lot of use, does that does that run need manicuring at a certain point? And we can guide the employees to prepare for that. They're not scrambling because people are starting to fall all the time, right? Because the, this, that, that run hasn't been manicured. Or does it is it a little light on snow? Does the, the snow machines need to kick on at a certain point? So again, all this comes together for an employee experience where they're not scrambling and, and feeling uh, put upon. And then that ultimately not only just gives a better experience for the, for the customer, but because the employees are having a better experience, hopefully that also even further reinforces the experience for the customer. And 
so I think for me, that's the power of orchestration where each individual thing with automation does better and runs more efficiently and effectively for that particular part of the business. But then all together, you have just this, this amazing experience that, that, and then obviously the one I'm sharing is not revolutionary. Um, I presume many, many ski resorts do that. If we think of something like, like a theme park, they probably have gazillions of those examples, uh, fast pass at uh, maybe uh, a place that has yours as their emblem. So with that in mind, I think we can look at a lot of experiences or scenarios where we're connecting devices and apps and systems and data as people and customers. I want to hear some of your stories. So who wants to run and, and uh, take the first one? Yeah, sure. Um, I can go ahead. Uh, the one that comes to mind quickly here um, as you were talking about that, is I think a lot of people think about automation as, okay, I'm filling out a form and a workflow is happening in the background and there's approvals and so forth and that's it. But the things people don't think about a lot is that form is doing a little bit more. It's taking that data. It might be categorizing that data, which means you now have decision points. So let's look at an example of um, a claims processing facility. Maybe they're processing medical and dental claims. Um, and those go through, and let's say you have 40 different people in the queue that can be looking at these claims, processing them, maybe writing down some notes, pulling out some interesting facts about them so that they can figure out what to do next. What's great about that is, yeah, it's automated. It's much easier to go through that form and fill those things out, review and, and pass it on, and it goes down the chain. But what it's also doing is recording the amount of time it takes. And I know that sounds very big brother brotherish, but don't look at it in this scenario because I've actually seen this in play. And it's not to say, oh, who's doing the slowest so we can can that person. It's who's doing the fastest so that we can continue to use the workflow to cue those things towards that person when they fit a specific category so things can be done faster um, rather than the other way around. And that's also so good to be able to see those, you know, we talk about KPIs because they're a big deal of, hey, there is a huge speed increase when you give work to someone who knows the specifics of that rather than having it pause somewhere and skip around and wait for a day to go to the next person. That's a huge advantage that people often overlook. It is. And one thing that I'd like to try to, to get into as well, um, that we've found really high success is automating devices, uh, you know, and getting a little bit away from somebody filling out a form. Uh, so one of the things that we did was around uh, IoT. And what we had to do was monitor these, these construction mats that are placed out in remote construction sites. They had chips and sensors on them. The construction sites didn't have uh, internet or any connectivity. So these chips and sensors kind of just gathered data for us. And then when the forklifts or whatever would come around to move them, uh, they would carry a connected uh, internet device that would allow the transmission of these things. So by monitoring these things, we had checks and balances within our application that if the mats didn't get moved enough or if the mats didn't report back or whatever that might be, we would have automated notifications go out to different uh, crew members that, you know, to make sure that they were tracking these things down and then the mats didn't get stolen um, and it would help keep track of that. And then it would also report back um, when they were brought back from the construction site, there was a device that scanned them uh, into the warehouse. So then it would update our warehouse database. So then we knew how many mats we had 
in stock basically to use at other various construction uh, locations. So it really took the burden off of a, a, a human to walk around all these construction sites and take inventory all the time. So we automated the complete inventory and geofencing and everything um, of these mats. And, you know, some other things that you could also think about is, well, you could do this with coolers, like monitoring your, your refrigerators at a restaurant or uh, hospitals have refrigerators in rooms that need to stay certain temperatures um, that you could have all these devices reporting back and you can have thresholds set on, on your devices that would kick off an automated workflow. And maybe that's to send a, a utility guy up to fix it or, or something like that, that now your, your nurses or whoever can walk around and they can concentrate on their real job and they don't have to be keeping track of, you know, is the refrigerator working, for example, or something like that. So there's a lot of other fun ways that you can use automation um, just to bring up some some more examples of some really fun, exciting ways and, and, and get people thinking, you know, outside the box a little bit. That's always one thing I always try to challenge people with is, is think about other ways that we can use this um, beyond filling out a form because those are really fun and they're really, really important uh, things. But there's also so many more things like even creating like a, a smart warehouse or something like that or, you know, things along the assembly line that we can utilize in our day to day stuff within an organization to really streamline processes. That's very cool. I'm going to go the other direction um, away from kind of the IoT and back to what Sean mentioned of sometimes when you think of automation, you think of people in a corporate office pushing paper or not pushing paper, as would be the goal with automation, right? So um, we use automation and, and in orchestration uh, in a lot of ways for things like um, a project lifecycle management, right? So working with uh, PMOs of financial, in financial institutions, to standardize their process of capturing project requirements, getting projects approved for budget, just standardizing and making sure that for any given project, it goes through all of the right steps and there's nothing being skipped. Nothing's kind of going outside the process. Everything is uh, in line from a compliance standpoint, from a security standpoint, from a governance standpoint. I know those are all real buzzy words that everyone gets so excited for, uh, but they're truly important and you have to consider them. And so whether it's a project management life cycle, project life cycle management or contract management, um, we have built some, I think, very cool solutions that ultimately are around approvals. Um, for example, you know, we're working with an organization with a, um, a large food manufacturing company on automating their entire contract management system. Leveraging SharePoint Online and Nintex, um, two tools that they just already had. They had already purchased. They already had them available. So let's leverage those investments and kind of maximize that. Um, each kind of piece of the process has its own unique components. But but one of the things that I kind of love that we're doing with this solution and, and that I think is a really creative solution to a challenge is they for some of these um, pieces of the project, for a capital expenditure request, for example, uh, could have up to like 13 to 15 levels of approval that this capital expenditure 
would need to go through um, according to the business, right? Um, and that's all based on the submitting department, whether it's capital or non-cap, whether it's budgeted or unbudgeted, the value of the contract. So is it under 50K? Is it 50 to 100K? Is it over 100K? And several other factors, right? So they have this kind of really complex routing logic for these approvals. And with a little bit of creativity and stick to we've been able to design a solution, an automated solution that accommodates for all of that, um, we'll just say uh, extensive routing for these approvals, right? But does it in a dynamic way. So we're giving them kind of a smart form that's going to guide the user through capturing all of the appropriate data and all the accurate data that then the workflow can use to route that request as it needs to be specific to that request. So we don't have a workflow that's got a branch for each of the possible 13 to 15 tasks and all of this crazy action duplication and a maintenance nightmare. It's a streamlined workflow behind the scenes that runs based on the data that's captured on our um, smart form that kind of holds the user's hand to make sure we get everything just right. Um, and so, you know, back to earlier where I was saying the, the automation won't work if it doesn't work for the users. This is a primary example of that. We might think it's crazy that, uh, something needs to go through 13 levels of approval, but that's not necessarily always our battle to take on. Um, part of our job, a lot of times we can push back on that and question if that's really the way it needs to be, but ultimately this is their process that needs to work for their business. And this is what it is. So now it's our job to find a creative way to build it according to best practices. It's not going to be a technical nightmare going forward. Um, so I think, you know, things don't always have to be very cool IoT solutions, although those are very cool solutions, Ben. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's just like good old fashioned document management is where it's at. No, and, and that's okay. And honestly, like some of my favorite stuff has actually been around document management. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, at SDG Solution Design Group, we went paperless in a weekend. Um, oh, wow. We Yeah, like when our governor back in 2020 shut down the state, we had new hires starting that next week that we couldn't go meet with them. So a buddy of mine and myself, we put our heads together and figured out how can we get our new hire forms get signed off? How can we get signatures on things? How can we get all this paperwork um, to new a new employee in a really quickly and timely manner? And we were able to, to take a process that normally was two to three people sitting in a conference room almost all day filling out new hire paperwork and we streamlined it to now it's minutes. That, that people are spending using e-signatures within the process, using document generation um, to capture, you know, new uh, other documents that are part of this new hire process and things like that. And it, it was just amazing just to see the the look on our operations faces of like, where has this been my whole life? It's like <laughs> we've been trying to talk to you all this for years. That's awesome. And, you know, sometimes you're almost forced into situations, which sometimes ends up to being a, a really nice scenario. But, you Absolutely. know, no, no automation is bad automation unless it's written bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. I want to I want to pick some some brains here because I, I was on a, a podcast earlier today looking at um, 
how to build a product with security in mind. And the, the, the guest I had on was talking about product modeling, where you're not just building one product, but looking at the whole suite of products you're going to you're going to build and, and find where there are certain processes or services you're going to use over and over and over and data sets you're going to use over and over and over and people that are involved in in things it's the same same people involved over and over and over and that would then kind of tell you how you might select a technology stack whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, some of these types of things. And I'm wondering if that same model applies when you're looking at orchestration. And I know we led up to this point through four episodes looking at definition, but do we see greater, and I don't know if you have any examples or scenarios where organizations said, we want to achieve this with orchestration, and therefore we're going to compartmentalize these tasks and these automated things in a way that they're repurposed and reused? And if so, what's the outcome? I mean, let's talk SharePoint 101 for a second, because I see this all the time too, which is I'm going to make, I'm a civilian developer. I want to make a piece of automation. I'm going to make my SharePoint list. Typey, 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 away it goes. Great. It's not a content type. You didn't name the columns the way that would make sense to everyone else. So then it becomes difficult to reuse. You'd have to kind of rebuild it. And that's a very low level of that idea of, you know, if you want to pick it up and compartmentalize it and repeat it too, right down from that foundation, you got to think about it. You know, components is, um, I don't know, it's one of my favorite things of building processes is trying to recognize where the little bits of repeatability is. Um, and, and it's it's really key to, try to find that early. Um, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm sure a lot of us are. It's like you get down to a process and you're like, oh, shoot, this thing, I need to use this piece somewhere else. Um, and then you go end up and you're building a component workflow down the road and then you just kind of refactor things anyways. Um, but that's that's just one really key thing to, to think about is uh, when you're designing these, these processes, um, can you use this down the road or is this something that another department can use? And, and if it is, then then write it as a component and be able to snap that piece into anything. Um, it's just going to make your whole system that much better and, and really make better products in the end too. Yeah. And I think to, to kind of um, touch on what Rhea was talking about with SharePoint 101 and content type site columns and kind of those types of best practices, I think that's absolutely crucial. Um, and I think even with an agile development approach, um, oftentimes though, we want for the requirements gathering phase, we want to look holistically at the full process. So back to the theme of orchestration, if the idea is to automate this contract process from end to end, so through getting an NDA signed to, you know, capital expenditure approval to the actual contract statement of work, a work order, an MSA signed all the way through a PO process. That whole thing kind of is an orchestrated effort, but we have to take each of those little bits kind of one by one too. So we kind of, you know, you could think about it kind of like an onion, right? The whole idea of peeling back the layers. So 
for us, oftentimes first step is just to hear from the business users. Uh, we want to get like 30,000 foot view of the whole thing and then we'll dig in as we go. But part of the reason for that is is for the reusability and the repurposing, right? If we're going to if we're going to need to capture this data, if this data is relevant on an NDA, we may find that it's also relevant on an MSA. And so let's create it a way that it can be used across both things like that. Uh, and on that topic, uh, <laughs> just wondering, have you ever, uh, have you guys ever built a workflow where you've had a whole bunch of different approvals, maybe up to 13 to 15? I don't know, Nicole, if you're familiar with that. And then you realize <laughs> that the email that's going out to each of those people is almost exactly the same, but for some reason it's repeated in every single thing, but instead Girl. you should be using variables, but it wasn't planned well at the beginning. And you're like, oh no, what have I done? And I have to update one word. My nightmare. Never happened to me. <laughs> And that's, and that's for me. I mean, that's, that's why like I, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys do the same thing, but I, I look at things very differently in terms of process. Uh, when people talk about a specific process, I boil it down to its, to its bare minimum, you know, functionality. I, I think back of like my programming days, uh, every application is input process output. Right. That's really what it is, is you boil it down. So when people start talking about, you know, oh, hey, you know, we have this uh, capital expenditure process. That's just a multi-level approval process. Right. That's that's what that is. Or we have an onboarding process. OK, we're going to collect some data and we're going to, you know, get some sort of approval from a hiring manager and we're going to do some document generation something like that. So when you start to think of things and view processes in that way, it becomes much more clear where. I can pick up this process, replicate it over the course of maybe multiple departments, and I'm tweaking one or two things. Rhea Kyle, just like you mentioned, right? Those multiple emails that are really the same, but there's maybe one or two nuances that are different. Those workflows, those processes are kind of the same thing, just at a higher level. So the idea to be able to come back to, you know, thinking about orchestration, that full end to end. It's instead of thinking about it in a workflow sense of, you know, each of the actions, it's each of the pieces of that puzzle. Um, I've worked for a variety of organizations where I've done automation, some really cool ones that have been customer facing and internal facing. And I think out of everything that we've talked about so far, the biggest impact is not only the, the external customers that we are making it easier to do business with us or the customer, you know, or the, the organization, but also the internal customers, the people that are doing their job day in and day out, the ability to make it easier for them to do what they have to do, whether it's through automation or streamlining a process. So that way they're, they're not wasting as much time. And the nice thing is, is a lot of what somebody is doing in one department is more than likely similar to what somebody else is doing in another department. Approvals are the same across the board. Somebody has to review some sort of content and give their approval or reject it. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. And I think a lot of organizations, like you talked about before, get so hung up on the minute details, which are important, right? Which are very important to them. They have a 13-step approval process and we need to document that absolutely. But at the end of the day, we don't need to reinvent the wheel and build out something so specific and a monolith of automation. We've done approval processes. We can show them that it's easier. That's where we, you know, the, the, the folks on here and the folks listening, that's where we get to be thought leaders. Right? We get to kind of be the ones to show them how to be better, how to do better. Uh, I always go back to the idea of 
Don't be chasing the ball, be in front of it. That's where a lot of organizations get caught up. They're the ones chasing the ball. So it's great when you can be the ones to actually show them how to be better with that. Yeah, I love it. And uh, as we're talking here today, all, all I can picture is a giant tablet with one big app. <laughs> and, and in that app, because everything we, a lot of things we talk about here today seem very linear as you start here and you end here as some, some process. And I, I'm, I'm, forgive me, but I'm going to bring it back to the experience. When, you, when you're in an app, right, it may not just be A to Z. You might bounce around and look at different things. Well, I'm going to check this data here and then take a slice of that and move it over here. And then that's going to change this. And I'm going to think about how you shop in an app or think about how you search the web with an app or think about any app you use. It's not always just A to Z. And I think if we can give an experience that uh, helps somebody do their job in a way within the rails, right? You, Nicole, you said we sometimes we have boundaries we have to work within. You can't, maybe it's not a fight you want to take, but maybe it is. But if it isn't, if you can give them a, an experience that keeps them within the rails and doesn't frustrate them um, as one big giant app, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> maybe that'll Absolutely. be as, as a big efficiency and satisfaction driver as the the automation Just itself apps for everything yes <laughs> <laughs> i love it well listen uh I'm, I'm sure we could continue to talk for hours and we have actually uh in this series <laughs> many hours five five uh 45 plus minute uh conversations leading us from definition through orchestration and uh, I, I, I'm certain there's a nugget in every episode for somebody listening to them. I would encourage everybody to link or listen to uh, each episode. And uh, there'll be show notes uh, that link to each one and the whole series and to all of our wonderful guests here, Jesse, Rhea, Nicole, and Ben, for folks who want to find you online and, and uh, hear more about what you're up to. So thank you all for bringing this together and putting a nice bow on episode five jesse any final thoughts i just i thanks for having us it's been a it's been a journey uh, i'm glad that we are able to finally connect through everything that's going on in the world and uh be able to like you said put a bow on this um look forward to the future conversations because i know there's a lot more to be had a lot more to kind of unpack and dive into so uh looking forward to it next time uh, and until then thanks everybody We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.